If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the Old Testament book of Exodus again. We'll be in Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1, but we will focus in on just one verse, and that will be verse 13. Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to focus on verse 13. Now last week we continued our journey through the Ten Commandments, and we finally made it to the second table of the law. You remember the first table, the first group of laws, uh, the first group of commands that God gave deal with our relationship to Him, and the rest of these deal with our relationship to one another. Now, from here on out, all these commands, except for the last one, the last one has a little bit of expansion on it, but for the most part, all of the rest of the commands are one sentence. And most of them are very short sentences. In fact, the one that we're going to read today in English is only four words. You say, Pastor, that sounds like a short sermon to me. Well, it gets even better because in Hebrew, it's not even four words, it's one, and it's only six letters long. So this is, now listen, I am... I am to the point, and I like brevity, and I like not beating around the bush a whole lot, but that's, that is brief even for, uh, even for me. But this command is easy to understand, and so there's not going to be a lot of explanation. It's mainly just going to be application and think about how this command to not murder uh, applies to us today. So if you found Exodus chapter 20, I'd like you to stand with me if you're able. We'll pick up in verse 1 and read through these 10 commandments. <clears throat> It says, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, or any likeness of what is in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rest on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor." Thank you. you. May be seated. Now, clearly, this command that God gives us is easy to understand, right? Do not murder, and hopefully, that's an easy one for us to abide by. Do not go out and and uh, and kill someone, and it would be reason enough to obey simply because God was the one who commanded it. He said, "Don't do it." That's reason enough to not do it. But I wonder, do you believe or do you think or can you think of any part of Scripture that gives a rationale besides God said so for the command not to murder? Well, the answer to that, if, if, you're, if you're having trouble coming up with a text, the answer to that is found in Genesis chapter 9. In verses 5 and 6, you remember back in, in Genesis, 
uh, everything started out good. We had the Garden of Eden. Everything was very good. God made Adam and Eve, put them in the Garden of Eden, said, don't eat from this tree. They disobeyed, sin entered the world, then, and death, and there was murder. And, and throughout the generations, men became more and more sinful, and it became pervasive throughout the earth. And finally, God wiped the slate clean. He brought a worldwide flood, and Noah and his family were the only ones that were saved. After they got off the boat, God made a covenant with Noah and his family, and really all of creation. And in verses, uh, Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, God says, Surely I will require your lifeblood. From every beast I will require it, and from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. Now I want you to catch what is said here. First, the basis of the command to not murder is the image of God in mankind. The basis of the command not to murder is the image of God in mankind. In verse 6, God says, If a person murders someone, if they take the life of, of another human being, that is a capital offense and they have forfeited their own life. It is a, 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 an offense that is punishable by death. Why? For, because, in the image of God, He made them. He made mankind. And, and, and listen, each and every person on this earth bears the image of God. Now, it's marred by sin. We're, we, we're not the way that we ought to be. But every single person in this world bears the image of God. And therefore, every person has intrinsic value. Now, amazingly, the message that every person is valuable is countercultural today. Isn't that incredible? We live in such a culture of death that to say every single person has intrinsic value is countercultural. That's incredible to me. But, but listen, there are, there are people who say that, that people are only valuable if they have the same skin color as themselves. There are other people who say others are only valuable if they're younger than a certain age. Others still say that you're only valuable if you're in a certain location, namely outside of the womb as opposed to inside the womb. Others say that you're only valuable if, if, uh, if you don't have some kind of a physical handicap or limitation. But one thing I notice is these people who come up with all these limitations about who is valuable and who is not, have you noticed that they're always in the group that's valuable? There's never anybody that says, the only people that are valuable that, that have these characteristics, and I'm not one of them. They're always in the group of people who are considered, they consider valuable. They're the right gender, the right age, the right color, whatever it is. But listen, all that, I'm going to give you a Greek word, it's nonsense. Well, I mean, that's not Greek, but it's my word. It's nonsense. It's ridiculous. All people are valuable. It doesn't matter what age, ethnicity, location, or anything else. There are no limitations put on it. Why? Because every single person bears the image of God. Once you get rid of that as a basis for, for value, you end up in a moral freefall. Then you end up with saying, well, this person's valuable, this person's not, this person deserves protection, this person deserves to live, this person does not. Something else I want to draw your attention to is that this is not only aimed at people who kill others, but in Genesis, verses, Genesis 9, verses 5 and 6, God includes animals in this too. Not in the sense that animals are created in the image of God, therefore they have intrinsic value, but rather he says that even if an animal kills a person, that animal is to be put down. We actually have a, there's an Old Testament law that deals with this very idea. 
in Exodus chapter 21, uh, verses 28 and 29, there's a scenario that God gives of an ox. Of course, we don't have oxen in, in this part of the country, at least not that I know of. Uh, but they lived in an agrarian culture. They didn't have tractors, so they would use farm animals like oxen to, to, to pull their plows and stuff like that. And God said, if, the, if there's a man who has an ox and he gores somebody and kills them, that ox is to be stoned to death. They don't eat it. They just kill the animal, but the owner goes unpunished. But, he goes on to say, if that ox is in a habit of goring people... The owner knows about it. He's been warned and he doesn't do anything to confine it. And that ox goes out and he gores somebody. The Bible says not only is the ox to be killed, but also the owner is to be put to death as well. This is something that God takes very seriously. Now, depending on the translation you're reading or maybe the the version of of the Bible, the translation that you maybe grew up uh, hearing or reading or memorizing the, the Ten Commandments from, the word choice that the translators use Maybe a little bit different because some translations render this, Thou shalt not what? Kill. And others say, Thou shalt not murder. And some don't say thou, just say you. But you know what I'm saying. It's not the thou's I'm talking about, it's the kill and the murder. Now, those are very similar ideas, but hopefully, if you think about it for a second, you can spot the difference. You can think of some differences between killing and murdering. Because all murder is killing, but not all killing is murder. Right? There is a difference. So some people, when they read this, they say, do not kill. And God doesn't put a limitation on that in this verse. I mean, it makes if you use your head, you can see what it is and read the rest of Scripture, you can see what he's talking about. But when he says that, does he mean, you shall not kill a cow? You can't have steak or hamburger. Does he say, you shall not kill? Does he mean, you shall not kill a mosquito in the summertime? Does, does he say, you shall not kill the grass when you mow it to bale it for hay? Does he, does he mean, you shall, not, uh, you shall not do any of those things? Well, some people have actually taken this to mean some of those types of things. And when they apply it to humans, they apply it to things like, uh, oh, things like uh, capital punishment. And they say, well, you know, capital punishment... This says don't kill, so capital punishment's out. And when it's applied to war, they say, the Bible says don't kill, so we should be complete pacifists. Now, the reason for this difference in translation between killing and, and, and murder is because in, in the original language, they had more than one word for killing, just like we do. You say, well, Pastor, I don't know that we have that many words. Well, we can talk about killing, we have the word murder, homicide, manslaughter, and we have all these different things, and each of those has a, has a little bit different feel to it. They have a different level of moral or criminal or civil responsibility to it, right? In the same way, the original language of, of the Old Testament here had different words that talked about killing. Some of them talked about um, accidental death, some were murder, so on and so forth. The thing is, we have a word for murder, and that's the word Murder. In the Hebrew, they didn't have a word that only meant murder. The word that they most often use for that idea of the intentionally unlawful, as God defines it, taking of a human life, 
they, they would most often use a specific word, which I can't pronounce very well. But most of the time when they talked about killing, it was, the, it was a word that meant to strike or to hit. And so, so that would cover things through like killing someone through, through an accidental death, through negligence by a fit of passion. It would cover things like uh, cold-blooded murder. It was kind of a broad term. Occasionally the term that's used in, in our verse today was, was used in those ways, but most of the time... The word that's used in verse 13, do not murder, do not kill, was used to speak of the intentional, unlawful taking of a human life. Murder. And that's why there's a difference in the translation. Now, now I think it's easy enough to understand. Don't kill people. And hopefully we can all abide by that. But I want us to think about some of the ways this applies to, to our lives. Because most likely when you say... But what about this situation? Well, what about, let's say, self-defense? And I'm just going to work our way through a couple of these scenarios because probably, even as you, if you sit here and think, you probably think, yeah, I know we're not supposed to murder, but what if this situation arises? How does this apply? So what about self-defense? Let's say that somebody breaks into your home, middle of the night, they begin to attack you, your children, your wife, your husband, whoever it is, and you defend yourself, you defend your, your family. In the process of that, the person that breaks in and is attacking is killed. In that situation, has the homeowner, has the person that is defending themselves, have they committed murder? Well, I believe the answer to that is no, because they did not kill them with malice aforethought. They didn't hate them beforehand. They didn't lie and wait for them. It was unintentional. And on top of that, the Old Testament law, part of the reason I say no, and I feel pretty sure that that's the correct answer, is because the Old Testament law actually gives us this scenario. And it says, uh, if somebody breaks into your home in the middle of the night and you end up killing them, that person is not guilty of of murder. So I think that that's a pretty, pretty cut clear-cut case you say well what about capital punishment i'm going to hit all the hot button topics so i might make somebody mad i might make everybody mad i'm not trying to but what about capital punishment well many people are against the death penalty on on moral grounds and some will point to this verse to support their position and here's the reasoning they say the bible says do not kill capital punishment kill someone therefore capital punishment should not be done that seems that seems reasonable if the word for kill just means kill and there's nothing else said in scripture about it but again the word there means murder and on top of that the rest of the bible gives a very clear i, I believe a very clear-cut uh, case for there being capital punishment now, I'm not going to try and argue into or out of a position. You can believe whatever you want. That's your freedom. But you just, I don't believe you can rightfully use the Bible to support the, the view that capital punishment should not happen. Here's, here's what I mean. We've already seen in Genesis 9 um, that, well, let, let me back up. You know, some, some instances, some scenes that happen to you are kind of embedded in, in your brain for a long time. 
I, I used to be very forthright. Not nearly as tactful as I am today. And, and I remember I was sitting in college. I know some of you are probably like, oh my, that's, that's probably why I never had any friends. I was in college, I remember, and I was in a chemistry class. And it was kind of stadium seating, you know, the further back it went, the higher up it got. And I can still remember, I, was, I can remember where I was sitting. And there was a, a lady, she's a non-traditional student, about two or three rows ahead of me, down lower and off to the right. And she made, in the course of one of our classes, she made some comments with which I disagreed. And so I engaged her on her comments. And in the course of that conversation, she, she said, and I'll just summarize her words, she said that capital punishment is wrong and abortion is okay. I'm sure that there were a few years taken off my life in those few moments. Because that is just one of the most incoherent, inconsistent ideas that there could be. But anyway, I'm going off a field. I, I don't know why I'm telling you all that. But anyway, there is this idea that, that uh, capital punishment is morally wrong. And again, you can have whatever view you want, but, but biblically speaking, Genesis chapter 9 says if a person kill someone else if they've murdered someone, that they have forfeited their life, they pay with their lives. We also see it elsewhere in the law, for instance, Numbers chapter 35. In Numbers 35, God lays out um, the rules, the laws for having what are called cities of refuge. And what that was is throughout Israel, God said, this is a city of refuge and this is going to be a city of refuge. And what would happen is if somebody caused the death of someone, maybe it was, let's say, a farming accident, Maybe, maybe they're out cutting wood and the axe head flew off and, and hit the person they were working with. Back then, they had what was called an avenger of blood. So the person that died, their close relative, could actually be the one to execute justice on the one that had brought the death. And so before that could happen, if the person who had caused the death could flee to a city of refuge before they got offed by the avenger of blood, um, they could be there safely until evidence was gathered and a trial could be had. And if that person was found not guilty, they were safe. They were free to go. But if they were found guilty of murder, the Bible says in that situation, if they were found guilty of murder, they were not to be, uh, you couldn't take money for their life. Like if somebody was found guilty of murder, they couldn't like take a ransom for it. They couldn't say, well, we'll not execute you if you'll pay $10,000. I'm just picking a number. It didn't matter how much money they had. They couldn't exchange their, their life for money, even if that person fled to the tabernacle and grabbed hold of the horns of the altar. The Bible said, if a person is guilty of murder, you are to take that person from the, even the horns of the altar, take him out, and put him to death. The same thing is seen in, in the New Testament, Romans chapter 13. Paul talks about the governing authorities. And what he, what he says is, Part of the government's job is to punish evil. He says the civil government is ordained by God. And one of its functions is to punish evil. And in that context, Paul talks about the the government not bearing the sword in vain. That speaks of the death penalty. So is the putting of a murderer to death murder itself? The answer to that is no. That's justice. It's not murder. You say, well, what about 
What about the military? What about law enforcement? Because sometimes, in the course of their duties, the military, law enforcement officers, sometimes they have to take somebody's life. In that situation, are they guilty of murder? Well, again, what is the purpose of the government? It's to reward good and punish evil. It's to protect its people. Now, do governments sometimes get involved in what we would call an unjust war? Absolutely. Do they sometimes send servicemen and women to do things that are not morally right? Yes. Do sometimes law enforcement officers shoot first and ask questions later? Yes. Do some of them, are some of them crooked? Yes. But listen, them doing the wrong thing doesn't make the right thing wrong. Because there are times when, when the military might have to be activated to secure the safety of its people. There are times when, when evil has to be stopped. Do you realize if, if, if America hadn't intervened to stop Hitler, we would all be speaking German today? There are times when, when even though the taking of life is not good, but sometimes it has to be done to secure the safety of others. What about law enforcement officers? There are times whenever uh, officers have to take the life of an individual to protect themselves or the lives of others. Is that a case of murder? No. No, it's, it's, it's not an intentional, remember, it's not an intentional, unlawful, as God defines it, taking of a human life. What about, what about abortion? Again, I'm, I'm hitting all the topics. Is abortion murder? Well, what is murder? The intentional, unlawful, as God defines it, taking of a human life. Is abortion intentional? Yes. Is it unlawful? You say, nope. Supreme Court says we can do it. I says, God defines it. It doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says. The Supreme Court at one point said that certain ethnicities didn't count as human beings. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's moral. As God defines it, is it unlawful? Yes. Is it a human life? Yes. Now, some people would argue with that. They say, no, it's not a human life, not until after it's born. Listen, given the, the only difference between an adult and a preborn baby is size, location, age of develop, or level of development. If that baby is given a chance to develop, it's not going to turn into a salamander. Not going to turn into an elephant. It's not a horse. It's not a cat, not a dog. What is it? It's a baby. If you don't have a baby in your belly, you ain't pregnant. That baby, if it's given an opportunity, will develop into a full-grown adult. So, does... It, does, does abortion classify as murder? Yes. Now, even as I say that, I want to say something and make it very clear. Evil on their part does not excuse evil on our part. And the main reason I'm going to say this is not because of anything I think that you all would do. But the climate in which we live, there are a lot of nut jobs out there. And this sermon is being recorded and it will end up going out on the internet where anybody in the world can listen to it. And so I'm going to say very clearly, not for you guys, 
but for whoever it is that listens at another time, the fact that people run abortion mills that do these horrible acts does not give us the right to murder them. There's my disclaimer. So murder, we, we could go on and on about applying these different, uh, applying this, this principle to different ideas, to, to different scenarios. But in the interest of time, we're going to move on. I, I do want to say, though, that, that murder does not start with our hands. Murder is not primarily a hand issue. It's a heart issue. Murder does not start with our hands. It starts with our heart. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 19, For out of the heart come evil thoughts. And that's not talking about the muscle that's in your chest, but it's talking about your, your, your inmost being, your, your will, your desires. The inner you. He said, Out of your heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. And in fact, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, he says, have you, not heard that the ancients were, you, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. What he's saying there is that anger is the root, murder is the fruit. It starts in the heart, it ends with the hands. Now some of us, we would never do anything with our hands, but boy, we kill a lot of folks with our hearts. We're mass murderers in our hearts. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says, be angry, what? And sin not. It says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't take your own revenge. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And as you, as you look at the gradation of, of what Jesus says there, you see a, a, a working out of that anger. It starts in the heart, comes out in, in the things that we say, and, and gets progressively worse to where it ends up essentially cursing that person. You fool. Talking about him being worthless. And that's, that's some uncomfortable truth. God says, don't do that. You should bless those folks. As we close, I always want to mention the positive side of this command. The principle behind it is that people are created in the image of God, and therefore they have intrinsic worth. They have intrinsic value. Therefore, human life is to be valued and protected. Therefore, the positive side is we should do whatever is lawful to protect ourselves and others. We should stand up for those who are being mistreated. We should stand up for those who are, who are being led to death in the abortion mills and elsewhere. When we have an enemy, probably some of us do, we have an enemy, maybe we have hatred towards them, the Bible calls us to do them good. Here's what the Bible says in, in the book of Romans, and he's, Paul's quoting from the Old Testament here. He says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
say, Pastor, I can't remember all that. That's an awful lot of stuff. I mean, hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. I don't know that I can handle all that. I don't know that I can remember it. Can you give it to me in one sentence that's easy to remember? Sure thing. Paul does this very thing in Romans 13, verses 9 and 10. He says, for this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. You say, Pastor, what's the answer to murder? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, now that is easy to say, sitting in church on Sunday morning. It's a lot harder to do Sunday afternoon when you're not at church and you bump into that person at the, at the store. You, you run into your ex. You run into that person at, at work who did you wrong. You run into whoever it is being gossiping about you. Got you fired. Split up your family. And in those times, what's God say? You see him broke down the side of the road. Don't hawk your horn and wave at him as you go by. Don't do that. Serve you right. What does it say? If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. Love your neighbors yourself. All that's based in forgiving them. Now, forgiving them is not saying that what they did was okay. Listen, forgiving them is not saying that nothing happened. But as someone has said, holding a grudge, getting bitter, hold on to a grudge, somebody said, is, is like drinking poison and, and expecting the other person to die. Because what we do is we want to get all worked up and feel so mean and, and hate that person. And we think the more we hate them, the worse they're going to feel about themselves and life. Isn't that right? The thing is, we're, we're sitting at home hating them, and they're out dancing. They're out having a good time. They don't care what we're thinking about, what we're feeling. It's ridiculous. We want to hold on to it ourselves, and, and because we think the, the worst that we feel about that person, oh, that's, the, that's going to get them. No. It only hurts us. Then maybe that there's somebody in your life you need to forgive this morning. There may be somebody that, that when you see them, you need to show them kindness. I've referenced this song before. There's, there's a country song that came out several years ago. Uh, I think it's called I'm Praying for You. And it's somebody that they dislike. So I'm praying for you. But I'm praying that you're, you jump out of a plane, your parachute doesn't open, your brakes go out, and you're going down the hill, stuff like that. That's not the way Jesus said to pray for people. You pray for them, you don't pray on them. But it's tough, isn't it? You don't show them kindness for their sakes. You show them kindness for Christ's sake. The reason that we can forgive somebody is because we've been forgiven. What did Jesus say? He who has been forgiven much, loves much. And when we think of the sin and the wrong that we've committed against God, and He still forgave us, He still does forgive us when we know better and we still sin. We think about that forgiveness that we've been extended, how amazing it is. 
How much, le- how much less is what somebody's done to us? It doesn't feel that way. But part of the magnitude of sin is based on who's sinned against. That's why me smacking a, a grown man in the face is not as bad as me smacking a one-year-old in the face, right? Because of what I've done, who it is I've done it against. Somebody sins against us, that's not as bad as sin against the, the thrice holy God of the universe. The question is, have you experienced that forgiveness? Have you experienced that salvation? Because if you have, we're called to something higher than holding on to a grudge and killing people in our hearts. And if you haven't experienced that, friend, today can be the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. The Bible says don't harden your heart while it's still called today. Turn to God and live. Repent and believe. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And if you've never done that, I encourage you, I call you, I plead with you to do that today. Want to stand with me as musicians come? As you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Listen, this is one of those things where we, as quote-unquote good church folk, we can, we can fool a lot of people, can't we? So we give our testimony. We say, I've never, I never got involved in the drugs and the alcohol. I've not killed anybody, not committed adultery, not all those things. But at the same time, on a, on a regular basis, we can be so mad at people and hold on to that anger and that hatred, that bitterness, we've killed them in our hearts. Now that's not to say that just because you've done it in your heart, go ahead and do it with your hands. But what I'm saying is, that's murder in seed form. Is there somebody you need to forgive today? Somebody that's wronged you? Maybe that person has never asked forgiveness. Maybe that person's not even alive anymore. They've wronged you. They passed away. They've never never once showed any remorse for what they did. Listen, you're going to be in bondage to that anger and that hatred and that bitterness for the rest of your life if you don't forgive them. That's not saying it's okay. But you let go of holding on to it. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, so many times we have situations in our life where people sin against us, they wrong us, they lie to us, they lie about us, they do whatever it is. And it makes us so angry. And we know that anger is is an emotion that you've created. And we know that it's possible to be angry and sin not, not only because Jesus got angry at, at the hard-heartedness of, 
of people of its day sometimes, but also because you command us to do it. And God, I pray that I pray that in those times when we get angry, that we'll not give voice to our anger, that we'll not give action to our anger, but that we'll forgive others because you and Christ have forgiven us. And maybe we have to keep doing it over and over, not because not because our forgiveness is uh, not enough, but sometimes our forgiveness uh, is, is incomplete. We think we've forgiven them. And something happens later and we come up with those feelings come up again and we have to lay it back down for you, to you. God, I pray that you would help each of us to do that. Help us to not be murderers in our hearts, much less our hands. And Lord, if there's somebody here that needs to be freed from that bondage of, of bitterness, of anger, of hatred, God, I pray that you would bring freedom to them. And God, I pray that if there's somebody here who's never experienced the forgiveness that I speak of, that's found only in Christ, I pray that you would draw them today. Let them become your child today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.